Hello and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about open source sustainability for the long haul. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? Why is it always cloudy all the time? Wait a minute. It's actually not that cloudy today. It's kind of nice. Well, where I am anyway, I'm in Vermont. This is Richard Litauer, one of your hosts. I'm also joined today by Justin Dorfman in LA. Justin, how are you doing? It is not cloudy. Not cloudy. And another not cloudy place, we have our guest coming in from Seattle. He is a senior PM at Azure. We have Aaron Crawfis joining us today. Aaron, how are you doing? Doing well. It is extremely cloudy here in Seattle today. Oh, okay. I assume this is No, yeah, it's kind of the norm for uh, early March. So I'll see the sun sometime maybe in like May or June. So in the meantime, all the vitamin D. Well, that's okay. Vitamin D is still good. Two tabs a day. Why not? Why did that bring up clouds in the first place? Well, it's a double thing. I mean, Seattle's obviously fun to make fun of because it's so beautiful there. We have to make fun of them for something. But on top of that, Aaron works in the cloud space. So he's a PM on the Azure Open Source Incubations team, which develops and launches new open source projects that advance the industry of cloud computing and applications. Uh, he's got a background in cloud security, architecture, applications, brings a breadth of expertise to the incubations team. And he's done a lot of work on Dapper, which is a distributed application runtime where he helped define, launch, and market it to microservice developers currently working on incubations and also more open source stuff across just Azure and Microsoft in general. So Aaron, we got a lot to cover today. Why don't we start with, actually, your hair is really good. You look dapper too. Tell me, what is dapper? What is it? Yeah, definitely. Oh, thank you. No, it's but somewhere I have when we launched Dapper, but they all gave us these really nice top hats. So it's like, so we can all look dapper. And amazing. Uh, I just recently moved, so I don't have it next to me or else I would like throw that on too. So kind of a little bit of a quick plug on the Azure Incubations team and I'll roll it right into Dapper. So we were formed in 2019 underneath Mark Rosinovich, who's the CTO and technical fellow here in Microsoft Azure. And the backstory is we would be talking to a ton of customers and partners and just members of the community who were trying to write microservices applications. They would be moving from traditional monolithic apps or starting with new greenfield projects. And they were diving into Kubernetes and diving into different cloud native technologies and would find that, wow, there's a lot of different SDKs and pieces of infrastructure and there's lots of different things to kind of comprehend. So the first big project we went out with, which was right kind of in the formative years of the incubations team, was Kata, our Kubernetes event-driven auto-scaling. So customers and partners told us, hey, it's really hard to scale our applications. So Kata was a project that we started. But with Dapper, kind of the next piece that we wanted to dive into was, well, especially customers that might have been using Service Fabric or might have been using kind of that monolithic app, like how do I maintain state and do state management in a distributed microservices-based app? How do we do publish and subscribe messaging? How do we do service invocation or secrets management? All those things that you kind of get if it's a monolithic app, you don't have to think too hard about. But when you start doing microservice apps, especially on Kubernetes, become to the forefront of the problems you're faced with. So it was the summer of 2019 when there was codename Actions, which is funny. That was a similar time frame that GitHub Actions came about. So we knew we needed to change the name. And like any project naming is one of the hardest things you can possibly do. But yeah, so we came out with a set of microservice building blocks where we want to make it super easy for developers who are new or even experienced with microservice development to just be able to drop in and leverage these state management building blocks, PubSub, service invocation, virtual actor patterns. So 
yeah, Dapper makes it super easy to just get up and running with the microservice pieces that you need and then run it on your local machine, run it in the cloud on Azure, run it on AWS. When we launched, we supported all major cloud platforms and then made it as well super easy to go from code to cloud. So yeah, that's a quick intro to Dapper. Okay, that is awesome. That is a lot of information and super, super cool. I feel like a lot of our listeners may need a bit of more of an introduction because a lot of our listeners come from University Ospos, come from open source projects just on GitHub. Can you tell me again, like the difference between like a cloud native thing? Is anyone using cloud native outside of large corporations? So yeah, so cloud native and kind of working in the cloud. So kind of dive into that space by saying the joke is, well, what is the cloud? It's somebody else's computer. With something like Microsoft Azure or Amazon Web Services or Google Cloud or even smaller things like Heroku or other companies as well. The idea is you can go in, visit the website, azure.com, aws.com, et cetera, click a button and all of a sudden you have any sort of like their computer. It could be an actual virtual machine. By that, I mean like an actual Windows operating system that you can open up and put your applications on that. It could be Linux. And that's what's known as infrastructure as a service, or there is platform as a service where you can kind of take that one level up and say, I don't need an entire Windows operating system. Like I don't want to have to manage the updates and the patches, or I don't want to manage a Linux machine and have to go in and install all my packages. I've written my app. It's working in VS Code. It's working on my machine. I can hit Python and it runs just really great for me. So that's where we have other offerings where we can say, we'll handle all of the patching and updates and machines. You just give us your Python code. You give us your Go code, .NET, like any language we support, and we'll run it for you. And that's where you'll see more hosted services or platform as a service. So popular ones are going to be AWS Lambda, Azure Functions, or you can even have containers. That's actually really helpful because it helps me sort of couch this as being part of the sustainability space because a lot of open source projects don't have the expertise or the know-how to run all their own stuff on their own servers or to do that like all the time and have reliability. So by having a cloud-based solution, even if you have to pay for it sometimes, it's really useful to think about how to like offload abstractions and enable communities to get the work done that they need to in general. Does that sound about right? Yeah, definitely. And the nice part is, especially with Azure, Amazon, like any sort of large cloud provider, the free tiers are amazing, especially if you're a student. I mean, I was recently in college just about six, seven years ago, and I made huge use of like the GitHub student pack and like the Azure credits that you get, the AWS credits. And so my personal website and all my projects, I still haven't paid anything for because very often, especially for simple things like a website, are not only free for students and for users new to the platform, they're always free. So thankfully, the free offerings, especially for students and for users that are new, extraordinary. So highly recommend checking those out. So... I see that you are part of the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, CNCF for short. It seems that Dapper is very mature. Like the companies that use it include Alibaba Cloud, Bosch, and a number of others. What's keeping it in an incubation state rather than graduating? So many open source projects, Dapper was one, may find it difficult to do things like get a marketing budget or to host websites or infrastructure because very often if your project becomes very popular, all of a sudden, like Dapper gets hundreds of gigabytes of traffic every month hitting our website for docs and for content. Once you surpass the free tier, in many cases, you'll have to pay for that hosting. 
foundations like the Cloud Native Computing Foundation allow projects to progress through a series of stages from incubating to then graduating into full projects. So Dapper, we launched in 2019, and that was right alongside we announced that we would want to not only be open source under the control of Microsoft and the incubations team, but our goal was to move to open governance. So that way we would go to the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, not just as a, hey, we Microsoft need some support because, I mean, large companies very often don't need the funding aspects, but we found that Dapper was really becoming popular with our partners. Just this past release, 1.10, we found that the overwhelming majority of contributors are now non-Microsoft developers. To answer your question, though, with CNCF, they have those different phases of incubating into graduation. And Dapper actually entered right into the incubation phase, which is actually pretty rare. There's a stage before that, which sandbox. is... Sandbox. Yeah, the sandbox. So we went right in as incubation. And then I haven't checked in with the steering committee lately, but I know that the next step would definitely be moving into the graduated phase. I mean, there are a bunch of really mature projects that are still in incubation. So I was just curious because it seems like while 2019 wasn't that long ago, Dapper's just become such a mature project since 2019. The other question I had is I see that on the Azure open source day, I just found the link somewhere. And I see that, do you work with Sarah Novotny and Stormy Peters? Like, are they involved with Dapper at all or any projects that you're working on? Sarah's a great colleague of mine as well as Stormy. So kind of the way we're set up is Azure Open Source Incubations falls under the Azure Office of the CTO because a lot of the work that we do is actually acting as a small startup within Microsoft. So all of our projects are cross-cloud. We want to make sure that we embrace not just Azure, but also AWS and GCP. So that's why when Dapper was released, we made sure that all of our Dapper components spanned all of those different platforms. And then Sarah and her team over in the Azure Story Open Source Ecosystem team also falls within the Azure office of the CTO. So we see each other at Team All Hands and her and her team have been a wonderful asset in terms of just the breadth of expertise that they bring, especially Sarah's previous experience with the Kubernetes and getting that up originally with that community. So incubations, including Dapper and upcoming incubations, which we have in our pipeline right now, we both Stephen Wally and Sarah Novotny have been huge adepts of knowledge for us to go to and to make sure that we approach the entire open source ecosystem in the correct manner. The reason I point them out is with people that are not familiar with Sarah and Stormy, Stormy created one of the first OSPOs at HP in the early 2000s. And Sarah, she was very involved with the developer relations team at Nginx, as well as she did work with MySQL back in the day. So anytime I see their faces, and it's really an honor to work with them. So I hope you don't take it for granted. I don't think you do. Yeah, every time I get to be in a meeting with them, it's not only a lot of fun, just, yeah, the getting to catch up, but also, yeah, that depth of experience is unmatched. And Stephen Wally. Stephen Wally is amazing. He's working right now to make a open source governance working group, which has a lot of cool faces in it. Toby Langell, Amanda Caseri, Julie Ferrioli, all sorts of people, great group. Aaron, I'm curious. So I have this existential question all the time whenever I talk to cloud people, not to call you a cloud person, but you know, that's kind of cool. It always seems to be like a litany of giant corporate names. And that just seems to be where the funding comes from for these things. Largely, I'm guessing because the infrastructure cost 
Do you know, are there other reasons why so many people in the cloud space feel the need to gravitate towards CNCF, towards Linux Foundation, and or to be part of very large corporations like Microsoft or Amazon? So yeah, I'm sure like even the Dapper website, you can pop in there and see the long list of different corporations that both use Dapper in production as well as contribute to Dapper and are part of the steering committee. My take on that is uh, like open source software, there's been a huge shift over the past few decades as large corporations, all the value, kind of the box product was in the code that they wrote, like their source code was really where the value of the company was to now kind of in this new age of running services in the cloud and running different hosted services where the money is more in the service, the hosting, like making it really easy for developers everywhere from small teams working on some kind of passion project, small things that very much fall on the free tier, all the way up to large enterprises. They need the service where at a click of a button, they can deploy things like Kubernetes. So like in AWS, you have Elastic Kubernetes service and Azure, you have Azure Kubernetes service. So with corporations nowadays, yeah, there is that draw into these foundations. So that way they can kind of take part in that discourse and not to mention make sure that their hosted service works well with these different open source projects. But I think on the other end, though, we are seeing a huge, especially on Dapper, if you look at our most recent 1.10 release, the list of contributors finally broke 100 for the first time ever, which was a huge milestone for us, where if you look at the 101 contributors to our 1.10 release, yeah, I mean, there's going to be a couple of Microsoft, like the Dapper team here in Microsoft, which graduated out of the incubations team. You have couple of our partners, but there is overwhelming amount of just individual developers and contributors contributing to Dapper and to open source. So yeah, I think we see a mixture. And at the end of the day, I think the value for customers is, yeah, you can go self-host Dapper. We make it effortless for you to run Dapper on your own. But now corporations are getting involved where you can choose between running Dapper on Azure, running it on AWS. And that's where the competition comes in for where does it run the best and where does it run with the most value for you? I think also is cloud native by nature is for corporations, by corporations. A small, medium-sized businesses don't need to run Kubernetes. Some might think they do, but it's for Fortune 500 scale in my opinion. I disagree with that. I disagree Why? with that because I think CircleCI counts as cloud native. And I think that GitHub Actions count as cloud native because those are operations that are being run on your project by someone who isn't you. And that also works for all sorts of open source projects out there. Right. Right. But we're what, talking about why are corporations so drawn to projects like Dapper, right? Yeah. CircleCI is more of a service. I was looking at it the other way. So I uh, know why corporations are drawn to it. There's a huge market out there of developers, right? Which is really important. Yeah. And it's important to use open source there because then you signal good intentions to the developers and you actually enable other people to work with you on the project. And the code is trustworthy. So you know what service is being run in the cloud. Those are all excellent reasons to do open source. And it's really cool to see open source be so mutable that it's able to be used in that space so well. Whereas when it originally was drawn out, it was, hey, I'm just sharing stuff on a CD. And that's like so far in the past now, the GNU mm -hmm. Linux era, right? That we're like in this other era of like open source means Microsoft working with Amazon on the same project, working with LF on the same project. And that's really cool. Yeah. My question was more about the perspective of is there anyone else in the cloud native space besides large corporations? Because I don't see a lot of small developer shops enter without having to enter through incubators, through sandboxes and LF, through other things. And I'm just really curious whether or not 
the nature of cloud native and the nature of the space because of the infrastructure cost and the cost of having to figure out all the boxes you need to check before you can get to scale basically precludes any sort of investment of time by anyone who isn't already, you know, in a multi-million dollar company. That's actually an interesting one where, again, we got kind of pointing to Dapper very recently. So in general, I think that with these open source projects, to my point, I was saying where developers and customers will go where the best place to run that software is. I don't think it necessarily has to be a large corporation. Recently, there's a company called Diagrid, just a startup of two founders, Mark Fussell and Aaron Schneider, who have now grown it into a handful of employees. They're building their entire business model as a small business startup around Dapper and around kind of the open source community around Dapper. And I think we're seeing that with a lot of other projects as well, where there are these really interesting markets where, yeah, large corporations have the one-stop shop for everything, Kubernetes and check a box for Dapper, check a box for Kata and so on and so forth. But I think what's left behind, which is where there's, especially with the past few months of kind of how the job market's been in the tech world shaking out is, at least from what I've been seeing on Hacker News and on Twitter, is these startups such as Diagrid are finding that there's a huge untapped market for either hosted services or catering to enterprises or other small businesses where they can kind of make their mark in the open source community. And some of our biggest contributors now are from Diagrid into Dapper and from these small startups and kind of these not by all means non-enterprise businesses. So it's, a, it's been interesting, especially over the past few months as kind of this migration and layoffs have been happening in big tech. I think I've seen the most kind of interesting startups in that space start to spring up at kind of using open source technologies and contributing back. Interesting. There's got to be some economical market model around layoffs leading to ingenuity, leading to people having to figure things out, leading to better services coming up. I don't know what it is, but if anyone knows, send an email, podcast, it's a saying, oss.org. That'll get to me. Aaron, thanks for mentioning that startup. That's really cool. And it's cool to see. And you have a perspective into who your contributors are that I don't have. So I really like that. You also have another hat besides the Dapper hat, which is you run incubations at Azure. Can you tell me about what that is, open source incubations? Yeah, kind of in my intro, I was mentioning how we tend to talk to a lot of different customers and partners and just open source community members. I catch up with so many of the big and small customers using Dapper all the time. And that leads to a lot of kind of unmet need that we're hearing, especially in this, hey, we're building microservice apps for the first time using Kubernetes. And even for the large enterprises, like Kubernetes is like you were saying earlier, Justin, yeah, Kubernetes, even though it seems to be the enterprises that are moving the quickest in that direction, it's still a lot of complexity to undertake. So here on the incubations team, we always are asking ourselves, what can we do to make the lives easier, not just for enterprises, but for any developer in the cloud native space and the security space? We hear signals from everyone from across all the different parts of the community. So for example, scaling led to Kata, microservice development led to Dapper, just a few weeks ago, we launched our most recent incubation called Project Copacetic because kind of in that same space, what we heard was, wow, so we've containerized all our code. We figured that out, but now we're getting security incidents. We're finding that we need to patch our containers and roll out security updates to our fleet of Kubernetes clusters. Docker container patching was really interesting space that led to one of our incubations where Project Copacetic is now available, where it's an entire container patching solution. So that way, if you are trying to monitor your containers and ensure that they are patched and safe, and whether it's a zero day or any CVE, so we're tackling that space. 
other ones that we have other kind of irons in the fire right now, both in the cloud native computing space as well as in others. In general, we follow a kind of a similar model to CNCF where we start with kind of an exploration. Let's do a proof of concept, see what's there, see if there's actual viability both in the technology and in the kind of marketing and in the business model. Then we move it into incubation where we then kind of build up a small team. That's when myself as the product manager would start to like, all right, let's talk to some customers, ask them if this is something, your partners, see if this is something that they would either use in their own pipelines and their own solutions, or if it's something that they would want to kind of contribute to as well. We welcome partners very early on in, in our stages of development. And then we move it all the way through into graduating it out like Dapper into a full-time team that now contributes to the open source project, as well as tying it into products here within Microsoft as well. Yeah, there's a lot of different projects and really cool technologies coming out of the incubation space. And so I get to wear many different hats as I kind of traverse the different stages of a project there. How does that project Copacetic, what was it? Yeah, Project Copacetic. Is there any similarities to like ChainGuard's images? I know ChainGuard ran by friend of the show, uh, Dan Lawrence, they recently released these like CVE zero images for Nginx and Go and some other stuff. So is it similar in a way or is it a completely different approach to tackling vulnerabilities? That's an area where we'll have to get Simon, one of my fellow team members on the show as well, to talk about it because he'll have the full depth of experience on that one. What I can say, though, is that with Copacetic, it's not necessarily about detecting and alerting that there's the issue, but it's actually the patching mechanism itself. So it's how do you actually go in once a CVE is known and once it's detected and go in and perform that patching. So you don't have to go in and like rebuild your entire container all the way from the base image all the way up. We can go in and patch that particular container. Yeah, I'll have to get Simon in on some time and talk to the specifics on that one. Aaron, can you tell me a bit about the finance structure for open source incubations? What are you offering to projects that get involved and how do they end up funding their developers? Yeah, as I mentioned, we kind of operate as a small startup within Microsoft. A lot of the times we go cross cloud and one of the pieces where we do kind of fall in line with Microsoft is because we are very much like five years from now, where will we be with cloud native computing? We definitely operate within more of the research and development phase of Microsoft. So many of the ideas actually come internally from either our CTO or from our customers. And so we have kind of some space to go out and try some ideas. It's funny because the incubations team actually, there's the running joke is, we aren't revenue generating ourselves. So it's definitely more of a strategic research and development arm of the Azure office of the CTO. But with the Azure office of the CTO, it's all about what are those long-term investments that we can make that may not generate revenue now or in the next five years, but something that we can form really meaningful partnerships, bring really meaningful projects to the open source community. And then down the road, once we graduate a project, that's when we start to figure out, okay, how can we really offer that service where Azure or any of our partners become the best place to run a particular incubation project? Thanks for sharing about your financial plans for how you invest in things. And it's interesting to know that it's a loss leader for the company initially, but it's about the long-term investment and what's going on. A lot of open source operates around the idea of having code together in a commons and giving back to other people more than you get. It's one of the things that causes maintainers to be burned out. Everyone has expectations that they need to get their bug fixed now. And the maintainer is like, well, I just wanted to do this. and I've been doing this for years and I'm tired. I'm curious. You say you operate as like part of Microsoft, right? 
we're a little startup, but also in Microsoft. But the main issue of being a startup is that you don't have a giant network and you don't have access to massive pockets of money. Not saying you have access to everything, but like it's still there. What do you do to help ensure that the communities that you touch are left more sustainable, even if they're not used by you for a research or investment strategy? How is Azure Open Source giving back more than it takes? Is my question. And I know it's a hard question to answer, but it's one that I always wonder. So what do you do? There's a couple things that we do both in the incubations team as well as Microsoft as a whole. The first thing I'll point to is we have our FOSS fund, the funding open source software, I believe is the acronym. So it's Microsoft employees in their day-to-day work, which a huge shout out to both the Hugo project as well as Doxy. Those are my two go-to projects. So any Microsoft employee can actually nominate open source software as well as we actually look at what open source software is most broadly used within Microsoft. And then Microsoft has a fund every month where we fund those maintainers and make sure that we're not taking more than we give back. There's the financial aspect to it through the FOSS fund. I've nominated multiple projects myself. Again, cannot thank the Doxy community enough because I'm a huge fan of really well-written docs, so I couldn't do it without Doxy and Hugo. But then on the incubation side as well, my personal philosophy is similar when I go on a hike. It's always leave it better off than when you showed up. Having been an open source maintainer, I've gotten a lot of value over really well-documented bugs or feature requests or typo fixes for docs, which is an area I spend a lot of my time in. In my day-to-day, as I traverse different open source projects, it's a matter of, hey, I've noticed a broken link. I've noticed like small things like that actually, I think, add up to really make the fit, finish, and kind of polish of any project that much better. We got so many amazing contributors to the Dapper Docs over the years where it could be things like, hey, I did a PR to remove all trailing white space. And I'm like, awesome. I never thought about that. Thank you so much. Very recently, there was an OCI driver I was using on a Kubernetes project and I noticed a broken link. So just small little, hey, I PR'd a quick fix for you type thing. I think it's small, but I think it adds up a lot. And combining that with the financial pieces and combining that with, we do a lot of partnerships in the community as well on the incubation side. We definitely strive for not just making our own incubation open source projects better and building them and making them more robust, but any of those that we go and touch. So I've been, again, to plug one more time, Doxy, I can't think of enough. I've made sure to, whenever I found bugs, be very thorough in my bug reports and not just a one-liner, made sure to even contribute now and again. So it's, I have a lot of fun on that side. So you probably work with Emma Irwin. We've never actually had a conversation outside of the GitHub issues. But yeah, I know that name has definitely come across the GitHub side all the time. This is three people you've brought up that we've interviewed. That's how prolific our podcast is, right, Richard? Or how much resource from Microsoft. But yeah. (laughs) Um, Cool, Aaron. I like that. So individual developers, including you at your open source incubations in Azure and Microsoft, give back a lot on their own get back a lot on company time as well while doing stuff, which is great. You also help your projects and other projects have better systems and more robust patterns and just become more sustainable. You also have a FOSS fund, which is great. Love hearing about FOSS funds. Go Hugo, go Doxy, all the things. I'm curious, in your incubator or with the CNCF or in Dapper, has there been a lot of discussion around governance for these projects and how to make the governance be independent from a single large funding body, which we know can skew long-term priorities for those projects. What does that instruction look like? 
I can speak to my experience with Dapper. So we launched Dapper in September of 2019. And from the very beginning, we put out the blog post introducing Dapper distributed application runtime, but we followed it up very quickly with a blog post, which is, yes, we are open source and we are brought by the Azure Incubations team. However, we are building a steering committee. We are going to be partnering and we are forming the steering committee and going to be in search of other partners to then take this into a more sustainable open source foundation and everything that comes with that. So that kicked off a year-long process where we really got into the trenches with some of our biggest partners like Alibaba and Intel to make sure that not only were they with us on the front page, like co-branded, but more importantly, like our steering committee is made up of, actually, I think the majority of our steering committee members are now in Microsoft. There's been a couple additional members added in over the past three years. But at one point in time, last time I checked a few months ago, we have steering committee members from Intel, from Alibaba, from Diagrid, and from Microsoft. We definitely believe and we can't come to Cloud Native Computing Foundation. We can't have a really sustainable project because on the flip side, if I looked at a project and saw any other big enterprise from Amazon to Google to any others and just saw the steering committee or maintainers were nothing but them, I'd be like, oh, okay, they just... It's the same critique on Microsoft as well. If you came to a repo and saw a maintainer steering committee all Microsoft, and you're like, oh, they just flipped a switch to make it open source. But if you see the collection of different corporations where, and you see a really healthy ecosystem of community calls and steering committee meetings, which is all we all made sure to publish publicly to make everything transparent. I think that is where our biggest focus has been over the past few years. Love that answer. Awesome. Aaron, thank you so much. This is super cool. What advice would you give to any project looking to get into this space? Please take this with a grain of salt because as a product manager, having spent the past three years writing extensive documentation, you know where my biases will lie. But for me, my kind of passion always lies with marketing and as an extension of that docs. With Dapper and with some of the newer incubation projects, I'd say if you're really looking to get into kind of a new project, a new open source project that you want to incubate and bring to market and build excitement around, I mean, at the end of the day, like new users will always land on your homepage to make sure that it's clear, shows true value props and shows what is the problem that you're trying to solve and how does your solution answer that. And then great documentation. I'd say for every hour of actual product development I do, I spend two hours making sure that the docs are just right. Because it's one thing to build some really powerful project or piece of software. But it's the next thing to actually teach people and tell people how to use it. Because you can make the best piece of software out there, but if it's undocumented or if you're doing the getting started guide and you hit a bug on the first line, that's where everyone will drop off. So biggest piece of advice, make sure that things are well documented, the value props are there, and the customers will flock right to you. Awesome. Super cool. Aaron, where can people follow you and your words online? Getting ready now. We have a big incubation project just to kind of hint at what's next. So. Follow me on Twitter at Aaron Crawfus to hear about some really cool new stuff that's in the pipeline. That's probably where I spend most of my energy is Twitter. So head over that way. I'm still working on that Mastodon account. That's up next. Cool. All right. If you get it up soon, we can put it on the website. Guests, of course, you can always go to podcastsdesignoss.org to see the show notes, which also has all this information. Aaron, this has been super cool. Thank you so much. Don't leave yet. Now it's the fun part of the show. Spotlight is where we point out projects, people, things that have helped us out in our career, that are really awesome, that we think just need a little bit of love. Justin Dorf, man. I'm very proud of this series I'm doing. It's on tncc-newsletter.com. 
It's about entitlement in the open source community. Justin Dorfman does yes. an amazing newsletter. Do check it out. It's another way of looking into open source with some beauty and passion and empathy. Justin, thank you for writing that and sending it out and for spotlighting it today. My spotlight is going to be Hugo. I know that Aaron already had a call out to them. I just want to say Hugo is really cool. I had a lot of issues with them early on with Git submodules. I've since gotten over those issues, but the original Maintainer Mountaineer website was built on Hugo and I just think they do really good work. So thanks for bringing that up, Aaron. And Aaron, what's your spotlight today? So kind of building off your answer, and I've plugged it a couple of times, but my favorite Hugo theme is Doxy, especially like the maintainers over there, like Lisa and all of them have built a really great way to just drop in a fully featured way to get your product and open source docs up and running quickly. We use them for all of our incubation projects and we can't thank them enough because, yeah, everything comes back to just really great documentation and they make my life way easier. Yeah, when I was sandboxing a CNCF project, that was like the go-to doxy for docs. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Aaron. This has been really cool. It's been great to have you on. Listeners, do check out the show notes, podcast.oss.org, where you can access those. You can also go to our discourse on our website. We're going to have comments on this. When this podcast is released, we'll open a thread for that. Thank you, Tina, for doing that. You're amazing. So do check it out and have any comments there. If you like this podcast, do like us on Apple, Spotify, wherever podcasts are sold and packaged. Please follow us on Twitter at SustainOSS. Or if you hate Twitter like the rest of us, you can also go to our new Mastodon account at SustainOSS at HackyDerm.io. That is HackyDerm. Do check out our Mastodon. Do follow us there. That would be super cool. And on top of that, if you have any thoughts, oh, you can always email us at podcast at SustainOSS.org. That'll go to all of your hosts. Again, thank you so much. This is super cool. Aaron, good luck with everything. Keep us updated on all your cool projects. Best of luck with Dapper. Best of luck with all of it. And uh, take care. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, great catching up today. 